And so this morning we're going to dive into our first part of the sermon. And so if you have your Bibles and they're ready, they turn Matthew 5 verses 1 to 3 is that what we're going to be looking at. Matthew 5 verses 1 to 3. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. So if it's a little different to yours, don't panic. Uh, it's only three verses and they're quite short. I'm sure you'll be able to follow. It says this, talking about Jesus here. Seeing the crowd, he went up on, uh, on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this morning, I guess we start a subsection, a, a smaller section in the bigger picture of the Sermon of the Mount, and that is the Beatitudes. And when we look at the Beatitudes, there's some important things that we need to understand. Is that the Beatitudes, firstly, are not just some random sayings in which Christ is just thrown out. Some nice philosophical thoughts in which he has thought and just decided to speak about them so that we might just feel good before the sermon. But rather these are spiritual, logical sequence to the reason in which he has put these together. There is a reasoning behind the fact that he has started off the Sermon of the Mount with poor in spirit. And we'll discuss it more a little later. But essentially, without getting today's beatitude, we don't get the rest of the beatitudes and we don't get the rest of the sermon. This is the foundation for it all. We need to grasp and understand that this beatitude is the one in which results in the rest. If we fail here, we cannot go a step further. We are required and we need to do this. In a sense, this beatitude is an emptying of ourselves. Being poor in spirit is emptying oneself of all of who we are. And the rest of the beatitudes in the Sermon of the Mount is a filling that takes place. And so we can't be filled unless we are emptied. And so we need to make sure that we realize that there's a section and an order to this. And so there's two pictures in which we can picture the Beatitudes in. The one is that we can picture it as a ladder to realize that we first have to get the first rung before we can move on to the next one. We first have to climb up the first step before we can climb on to the next one. So you can't um, be merciful if you haven't hungered and thirst for righteousness. Does that make sense? You can't move on to the next one until you have first taken the next step. The second way we can look at it is that it's like a house being built. And there's layers of bricks. And each beatitude is a layer of bricks across. And we have to have the one and we build upon the other. And then we build upon the other. But there is no point in which we can go, I no longer need this layer. Because if we do that, if we remove that layer, everything else above it collapses. If we take away the foundation, which is uh, being poor in spirit, all the other Beatitudes, all everything else collapses and falls down. There is no point in which we can say, I have achieved that. I have come to it. I no longer need this. Because if we do that or we think that, that those that are built on it collapse along with it. Super, super important. But also when we see the Beatitudes, what we need to realize is that there is a starting of a discomfort, but it always ends with blessing. There's a discomfort part to it, but the result of that is a comfort, a blessing. You see that? Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is discomfort. 
But the comfort is that we will receive the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. There's a discomfort. But they shall be comforted. And it's like that which each and every single one of the Beatitudes. There is discomfort and then a comfort. And the blessing that is spoken about here is sometimes translated happy in some of our translations. Well, now, while it can be understood as happy when it says blessed in the beginning, the best way to understand it is blessed, is congratulations. And when we see in Scripture, we see this happens in a two-way part. We see in Scripture that man blesses God. When, and we, we, I thought we were going to sing a song today, and I was hoping we were going to do it. It was on the list, but we, for time-wise, we didn't. But we sing a, a song that we, we know often. It says, blessed be the name of the Lord, right? It's, it's man saying, Lord, bless you. And, and when we do this, it's not in a condescending way. It's not in a way in which we are looking down to God or we are adding to him. But rather, it is a way of looking at the majesty of God and being in awe and wonder of his greatness and say, Lord, bless your name. Bless who you are. Bless your character. It's amazing, Lord. It's, it's, this, it's this high praise for him. But as we see in this section and we see in other places in Scripture, God blesses man. And in this sense, it's an approval. It's always an up looking downwards. God's always looking down. He's higher than we are. And he's looking down and he's approving us. He's congratulating us for something. And there is no greater thing, no greater approval that we can get than that of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords saying, I approve of you. Blessed are you. And the result of that is a huge blessing. Huge blessing. That we get to be part of his kingdom. That we get to be comforted by the hands that hold the universe together. That we get to inherit the earth as he gives it to us. We get to be satisfied by God himself. We get to receive mercy from him. We get to see God clearly. These are the results of such amazing things of the Beatitudes. And so while we might go through these in the next couple of weeks and they might be difficult, church know that the blessing is far greater than the discomfort that we have. It's the approval of God. So much better for us. Such grace. And as we dive into our first one, we see that the blessing that we receive is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. And you might have noticed that the last beatitude also says the blessing is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is a stylistic way in, in talking and, and writing in which what it says is everything in between those two that are the same are a part of it. Does that make sense? And so all the other beatitudes, the blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are meek, blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacekeepers, all of these other attitudes are as a result of being in the kingdom. Does that make sense? And so we can confidently say this morning that out of everything else, what Jesus finds most important, the priority that he has for us, is that we are a part of the kingdom of God. Because all the others come as a result of it. So this is what he wants you to grasp. He wants to make sure that you are a part of the kingdom of heaven. That's what he wants. 
And I hope you hear my heart in this. But if Jesus had to choose this morning over you having a great bank account, of you having a comfortable life, of you having success in all that you do, of you having perfect health, and yet you not be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Or he, he could choose that you could have be poor, sick, discomfort, and you be part of the kingdom of heaven. He's always going to choose the latter. He's always going to choose the latter because in there is life. In being part of the kingdom is where he wants you. That's the most important thing to Christ, is that we are a part of the kingdom of heaven. And as we look at 1 John 2, verses 15 and 17, these words that John writes need to wake us up, need to stir us, need to shake us. It says here, Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, these are our lusts, these are um, our passions that are in us naturally, all these things, the desires of our eyes, those that we look to, that we covet, that we are jealous for, those things that we even dream about and we want, we hope for them. And the pride of life, and, and the word life here is the word bios. It's, it's where we get the word biology from, physical things, the, the pride of physical things, material things, those in which we have and we are happy about, our house, our cars, the clothes we wear, the ring on our finger. It might be many things, it might be one thing. It's just the pride of life, pride of materials. And this is the conclusion of these things. It is not from the Father but is of the world. And why is this a problem? The world is passing away with its desires and whatever is done uh, for the will of God abides forever. And so the danger is here, church, is that we get so stuck and pursue after the things of this world, its desires and all that it has. But if we do that, it will pass away. It will not last the status in which we desire, the, the retirement in which we want, the acceptance in which we crave, all those things will pass away. Only the things that are done for Christ and His kingdom will stand and last. And the thing is, John 3 verse 3 says that Jesus is talking and He says, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he's born again. The thing is, those of us who are Christian have been born again. We have been made new. There is a new life, a new creation. We, the old has gone, the new has come. There's something new in us. And what that means is we are now part of a new kingdom. We are, part of, we are citizens of another kingdom. We are made for something else. And the danger is that we pursue all these things. We strive to get the satisfactions that we want through the things that the world offers. But yet it will not satisfy. Why? Because we are made for something else. We are made for the kingdom. And the danger is we pursue these things. And yet we lose out on all the blessings that come with pursuing the life in which Christ has given us. Which is ours already. We just have to live and pursue and have him. How great is that? This is what is part of being a part of the kingdom. Man, 
There is life in this church. Don't waste it. There is a life in pursuing Christ that we can only get in Him. And this beatitude shows us that the way we do this, the way we receive this is being poor in spirit. The way we get into this kingdom is being poor in spirit. And the thing that we've got to realize when it comes to being poor in spirit is this is exactly how God sees us. God looks past our, our great houses. He looks past our success. He looks past all the things that the world might see and he looks straight into our heart and he sees us as poor in spirit. We see this in, in 1 Samuel 16 verse 7. It says, uh, it says here, God is talking to Samuel. Samuel has just gone off to anoint a new king. God has led him off to Jesse's house um, to go find a king. He doesn't know which of the sons that Jesse has that will be the new king. And Samuel sees the oldest one, the one who's got height and stature, who carries himself well. And Samuel thinks, oh, this must be him. God, perceiving his thoughts, says this, do not look at his height or his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. God looks at the outward appearance, and he sees our hearts. Church, God looks past it all, and he sees exactly how you're at, who you are. The world might not see it. Heck, we might even not see it ourselves. We might deny it. We might be ignorant to it. But God looks straight through it all, and his diagnosis of our hearts is that it is poor. We see this in, in, um, in Luke as well. Luke's uh, account, when he talks about uh, the Beatitudes, he summarizes a little bit, and he says, Blessed are the poor. Now, I don't think Luke is referring to financially poor here. He's not talking to those who have nothing while well, you are blessed, but rather I think Luke is playing on the imagery that is used with poverty when it comes to finances and saying, man, it is the same thing when it comes to the spiritual world, spiritual things. So when we look at those who are poor physically and financially, we can see, and particularly in Jesus' day, we can see, man, they are totally in need. Totally in need, desperate, not sure when the next meal will come, not sure how they're going to be able to provide for their family. There's this total need in which they have. There's also this total um, honesty. Man, are we honest about who we are? Because you can't portray that there's something better than you are. You can't say, look at me, look how great I am when you're not. You are, have to be totally honest. It's a humbling experience. There's also this Total, total dependency that happens. You're dependent on other people. You're dependent on their generosity and their kindness towards you so that they might help you out. And if we take these things and we apply to us spiritually, it's the same. It's the same. Man, we totally need of God. Nothing else will suffice. We need Him. We need Him. We are totally honest between before God. We, we see ourselves as that. When we are poor in spirit, we see ourselves as God sees us as being poor. As having nothing to contribute. We see ourselves as God sees us. We also totally in need. I mean, totally dependent. 
We are dependent on Him for our strength, our salvation, our hope, for guidance, for love, for joy, for peace, you name it. We are dependent completely on Him. That's what we have. We are completely dependent on Him. And the difficulty is this, is that we look at the way the world sees us and we apply it to ourselves. The world approves us, and so we feel that God approves of us. The world might give us applause for the things that we've done, our past, our successes, the life in which we live, and so we think, man, God also does that. But the funny thing is, is that God does not care for those things. He does not applaud. He does not go, blessed are you. He doesn't say congratulations for those things. Why? Because he has given all of those things to us. Our intelligence, our looks, our homes, our finances, our blessings are all given to us by God. And so therefore they hold no weight when we come before him because they were gifts. They were gifts. And the problem is that we need to not compare ourselves with others, but we need to look at the face of God and compare ourselves to him. And when we do that we realize how poor we are in spirit. We see this particularly with the guy named Josiah in, in, two, uh, in two Kings. Man, his grandfather was the worst king out of them all in terms of sin. God even said that he, this is the worst of them. He eventually, after many years of reign, will die and his son will come in, which was just as bad as him, but has a short reign and gets killed. The people protect Josiah and he is made king at the age of eight. He is king. In the 18th reign, year of his reign, man, he's, in, he's a young man who has it all. He, he, he compares himself to his peers. He is king. He is great. He's got money. He's got power. He's got it all. Everything he wants, he has it all. And he's, in this year, he goes and he cleans the temple. It's dusty. It hasn't been in use for years. There's nothing, the priests don't know what's in it. And as the priests are looking around, they stumble upon a book and they start to read it. And it's the law of God. And as they read it, they, they, they realize how important this is. So they take it to Josiah and they, uh, and they say, this is what you need to hear. You need to hear this. And they read it to him. And as they read it to him, he hears about the majesty of God. He hears about him being creator. He hears about the promises and the faithfulness of God through Abraham all the way to Jacob. He hears about how God has delivered the people from the Exodus. He sees how God destroyed Egypt to, to deliver a slave people. How he destroyed all the other nations to give them the promised land. He saw the law of their righteousness. He would have seen how God was holy and what he determined. And in this moment, as the law is read, as God is proclaimed, he sees the majesty of God and he realizes that he fails to compare. He is nothing in compare to the greatness of this God. He realizes at that moment that he's poor in spirit. His need for Christ. And church, the way in which we come to a point in which we are poor in spirit is when we look upon the holiness of our God and realize that we have failed to compare. And the danger for us as Christians is this, is that we think that is no longer me. As I speak, you might go, Joe, man, that is true. I was like that. I used to do hair-raising things. I could tell you stories that will scare you. But I'm no longer like that. 
And I praise the Lord that you, you aren't. You, you've, you've been sanctified. You've been made more into Him. Thank the Lord for that. It's by His grace alone. But you've got to realize that we are always, in light of who God is, poor in spirit. We see this with Paul, don't we? When talking about sin and sinners, he says, I am the worst. He never said, I was, but I am. I am. Why? Because every time he grew in his knowledge of who God was, his greatness, his holiness, he realized that he was further off than he ever thought. He's worse off than he ever was. And as Christians, we have a great reminder by looking at the cross. We look to the cross. We see Christ there. And what does it remind us of? Man, that we can't save ourselves. That our Savior is Jesus. What it reminds us of is that we bring nothing to the table. What it reminds us of is His love for us and His grace upon us that is given to us freely, not because of anything that who we are, but rather because of who He is. Grace. And we are reminded of that when we look at the cross. And this is a place in which we need to be in order for us to be able to do the next. To be able to step forward. And church, this might be hard for us to hear this morning. But it's vital so that we might be part of the kingdom of heaven. It's vital so that we might be able to do the other beatitudes and receive the other blessings that come with it. That we might know Christ and know him well. That we might live for his glory and his alone. Take it to heart that you do nothing. It's not dependent on you. It's only dependent on Christ. That is comforting. That is comforting. We are going to pray. And um, it hasn't been announced, but the reason why there's cupcakes is because there's a baby dedication. Um, so we're going to pray. I'm going to hand over to Matt, and he's going to lead the baby dedication. He's rushed off here at the end of the service. He's going to do it now, and then he's flying off again to the 10 o'clock service starts in five minutes and then they're doing worship and hopefully he arrives in time to preach. <laughs> Otherwise, a long, long extra worship. So he won't be hanging around. Um, but we're going to pray. We're going to commit this to the Lord. We're going to ask him to help us to see who we are um, and realize the grace that we have in Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we are just so thankful that we are able to realize and know that there is nothing in us that, that attracts us to you, but yet you love us. Yet you look upon us with grace and mercy. And Lord, we, we pray for forgiveness if there's any pride in our heart, if there's anything in us that goes, I bring something to this table. I am dependent by myself that, Lord, you would just forgive us for that. For, Lord, there is life in pursuing you and relying on you alone. So, Lord, fill us with your spirit, we pray. Help us to know Christ. Lord, we want to pursue you more, and it needs to start off with knowing that we are poor in spirit. Minister to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.